This is Boom Goddess Radio, igniting inspiration in primetime women. We are Jennifer Davis-Page, B.B. Peters, and Dr. Andrea Gould. Here we are today in our beautiful studio in downtown Tucson, and with me is my co-host, B.B. Peters. Good morning. And wonderful guest, Pam Hale Tractor. Oh, great to be here. Pamela Hale Tractor. And we're talking about creativity, we're talking about spirituality, we're talking about the inner landscape of creativity. Such an important topic, especially as we evolve. And right, especially as we evolve and as we mature and as we age, because it's like discovering new territory. And it's so exciting to be able to speak with our guest about her life and about the creative elements that are still so ingrained in how she sees her life and how she leads her life. Such a great accumulation. And the time to listen to this podcast is now because this conversation holds the mindset for your creativity within reach whenever the time is right for you, our listeners. And we all have creativity within us. Sometimes we're not so sure how to access it. The 19th century poet Gerard Hopkins called this fertile terrain our inscape. And in order to maintain its fruitfulness, it must be drenched and nourished with as many forms of life as we've experienced, if we are to thrive. Our guest today, the brilliant Pamela Hale Tracta, qualifies as a wonderful role model and goddess for understanding the inner process of creativity as we evolve in years and experience. A talented teacher, speaker, writer, visual artist, and surfer of both the inner and outer landscapes of life, Pamela Hale cruises among many mediums with elegance and grace. We are so fortunate to have her with us today. Welcome, Pam. Oh, thank you. What a lovely introduction. You inspire. I grew up in Southern California, so I qualify as a surfer, I guess. (laughs) I just love that word so much in that you instantly have a visual of someone taking the wave and riding the wave and then coming down off the wave and picking up the speed again. And that is just such a beautiful expression of how we see you. So tell us, Pam. Give us a little history, a little background about your life. Yeah, well, what comes to mind, Bibi, when you ask me that, I think, is that um, I did not know what I was doing as I was evolving through this. But in hindsight, I'm 74 now, so I have some of life to look back on. And as I look back on it, I can see how what medicine creativity has been for me. So I think that the first thing to tell you about my life is that, you know, almost all of us start with some wounds. Um, I call them the sacred wound, and I'm not the only one who's called it that. Um, But part of my sacred wound is that my biological father, Robert Hale, was shot down and killed over Germany in World War II when I was 21 months old. And this was shortly after 
my birth from a mother who had a breakdown, psychic break, when I at my birth and was hospitalized for several months. And my father was the one who took care of me when that happened, and his mother. And so I was kind of brought up by committee during those first few months. And probably because of that and because of the things that followed, um, the good news was my mother remarried a very stable man who gave me uh, everything that I needed, gave me a security, a beautiful education, treated me as his daughter, and adopted me. And so my name was changed. Um, the downside of that was that Hale, which was my birth name, was erased. It was erased from the birth certificate. There's no record of me having been born Pamela Hale. So as I began to heal and seek healing and look for the tools that would help me become empowered and become whole, um, I look back on that and call it my search for Hale. Nice. Because it's as though there was a missing piece. And of course, the word hail means whole, healthy, strong, hearty. So I was looking for that part of myself. You know, one of the gifts of aging, as you've shared with us at other times, is to be able to look back and to see with fresh eyes what has happened and to make sense of it. And there's so many yes. clues around to help us make sense if we tune in, if we can pay attention. Yes. It, it's as though sometimes you look back on your life and it just looks like there have been a lot of little divergent pathlets. And you wonder where you were going when you took this path and how this path you took was related to the whole. And it, it's only when you look back with some kind of process and see that, oh, these were all threads in the tapestry that I've woven. And you, as a pilot, which is comes later in the story, but to have that huge perspective, not only to look back, but to see far and wide, another gift. Yes. And you was, are in possession of that. That was a tremendous gift. In fact, that was really, when I look back on it, why I was introduced to flying, even though I didn't think so. You know, I had a lot of my own reasons why I thought. I'm, I'm now married to a man who's been a lifelong pilot. Um, he came with a plane. <laughs> and so, um, so I flew with him for eight years. And after eight years of that, of talking about how I was going to become a pilot, one day he finally asked me if it was just talk or whether I was planning to do anything. <laughs> so, um, so I thought that the reason that I was taking flight training and becoming a private pilot was to deliver on that promise, if you will, and to fly with him and to make us safer. And I had all these rational reasons. But in fact, when I got up there in the plane, what I found was that the reason was not that um, I really wanted to be a mechanical pilot. That is, it was not the technology of flying that was fascinating me. It was the view. <laughs> and as a visual woman, that view really came right out of the authentic artist within and presented you with 
get another gift. I, it did, and it to to uh, go back a little bit now. Um, I got introduced to photography as a child and had my first darkroom experience um, when I was probably 13. And so I've really been a photographer all my life, and that's been my art form. And to dip into the creative now that you brought up, um, I think when I was really found myself hurting in my first marriage and all the wounds that my childhood had left unresolved for me popped up in my face and in that relationship, uh, I went into therapy. And while I was in therapy, all of a sudden there was this volcanic kind of explosion of creativity. I had always played the piano. Now I started playing the guitar. I started writing compulsively, journal, journaling. I've looked at my collection of journals and I see how they were a survival tool. And I'm going to have to deal with what to do with them, but that's another subject. Glad you mentioned that. Future podcast for sure. <laughs> and it's as though you were propelled, right, from the inside out uh, in the feeling of the wounds, but also in the desire to reconcile them or to come to terms with them. And it appears that the method that you used was to become even more creative than you were at that time. Yeah, and it happened organically. It didn't happen because I was thinking about it. It happened in a way as a gift from the universe, a kind of rebirth, because I've, I feel like it came from the belly, you know, the womb. It came uh, out, and what I started to observe about it was that um, I was tapping into a huge creative wellspring that was connected to my sexuality, it was connected to my spirituality, and all of these were living together in the same pool um, in an energy that I now identify as Eros, because of course Eros is not just sexual. Eros is really um, we can ask the resonant psychologist for her definition, <laughs> but uh, I think of Eros as being uh, the love of the passion for life. The, the I'd life say accurate. <laughs> okay, good. The life force coming through us. That's what I was feeling, and that's what I had repressed as a defense against the wounds. You, you mentioned that the um, experience of being in therapy somehow provoked, released, um, helped you observe what was really yours deep inside. How did that work for you? Can you, can you talk about that alchemy? Well, I think at the beginning, um, it was chaotic. <clears throat> I didn't recognize that it was healing particularly, except that I knew, well, I knew the journaling was. The, um, the sexual hunger, if you will, came out in ways that were scary for me and kind of, you know, felt out of control. So creativity isn't, you know, doesn't come in a neat little package. <laughs> for, sure enough. Um, you know, and I think that's why there are so many um, artists that we consider a little wacky. Tortured. Yeah, yes. Well, or tortured <laughs> or whatever, because there is a lot bundled up with creativity. And 
So for me, it began uh, in a way chaotic, but fortunately, the sane part was that I was writing in my journal, and I also had two adorable little daughters, and I had a reason to photograph. And so I started by photographing them. And that was certainly a socially acceptable <laughs> <laughs> way to be an artist. And it went from there. I um, <clears throat> really want to bring in here the role of serendipity. Because the spiritual part, which I'm not talking about religion here, I'm just talking about our spiritual nature. Um, when we plug into that, then serendipitous things begin to appear. And one of these was that I won a camera in a raffle, my first <laughs> 35 millimeter camera, and I won a photography class. And so I went to the photography class, and the it was at a woman's house, and she was a wild artist who turned her photographs into pillow covers and um, murals and wonderful, and I fell in love. And so. There's the arrows. Yes, arrows yes, again. yes. And what so age was like. this about? So we this, can frame it. This was it. my 30s. Now. In your 30s, okay. okay. So then I took every class I could take. Took, took all the classes at City College and then went on and studied with some other people, masters. I really was so fortunate to, uh, then I started showing my photographic art. Um, I did Ansel Adams' last workshop, invitational workshop in Carmel. Oh, how and marvelous. And that was a life-changing thing because I drove my Volkswagen bus, my brown Volkswagen <laughs> bus, up the coast from Southern California to Carmel by myself and got to hang out with all these photographic artists. In that artists. enchanting In, environment. Yes, oh. that and be exposed to five days of teaching from five different photographic artists. So I was drenched in that art world, and it was so therapeutic for me that at some point, and we're probably talking 35 now, I began to teach my own classes because I just naturally wanted to share. And I wanted to share how photography operated as an alternative language for me, that the way any art does that expresses things that are wordless. So I began to teach classes and I eventually opened a little studio that was an educational studio and I became an artist in residence at, in some school districts and began teaching photography in at the college level and all kinds of um, offerings that were really to help people see themselves through a different lens, which is what my business is now named. Perfect, as well as what you've created out of the input of muses that you recognized as teachers for you, that you then wove in to yourself. And again, you know, it's that inner and outer experience that you weave together so beautifully. Yeah, and it all feels like um, like I was not consciously doing all the weaving. The, I was being woven together. 
And what That's was your name at that point in time? Weaver. Yes. <laughs> so, so the My gift from the Weaver. first marriage, <laughs> may it rest quietly, yes. was that you got a name. Yeah. That we can say that yes. it's part of the serendipity. Yes. Also. That was one of the gifts. One yes. of the gifts. Yes. So. I began helping all kinds of people and really experimenting. This is the other creative part because I wanted to mention we're not just defining creativity here as art, but as problem solving. And so I had all kinds of people start to call me. A mother whose child had learning difficulties, this was before learning disabilities had that name. And she said, I have the feeling you could help Billy would you try to work with him using f photography? So I started doing that. And then I had a woman call me on the phone who I thought was drunk or drugged. It turns out she had a terrible speech difficulty and had all kinds of other difficulties. But could she ever photograph? And I helped her. She went to a, a very progressive college and they ended up accepting her master's thesis that was partly delivered using photographs after we worked wow. together. What a calling. You were yeah. actually physically called. Yes, <laughs> yes. Right, so not something you could yeah. really ignore yeah. in terms of calling mm -hmm. to help people translate mm -hmm. their emotions into. And then one of my students said to me, there's a woman that you've got to meet. I met her at a conference and she lives in Vancouver and her name's Judy Weiser, and here's her name and card. So I contact Judy Weiser, and she writes me an ecstatic four-page letter saying, we found another one. You may not have known it, but you're doing phototherapy. <laughs> and you're now part of the international phototherapy movement. So I graduated <laughs> to traveling around, speaking, writing papers on therapeutic photography. And you went from being healed to healing to giving that energy back to people that uh, sustained you and elevated you to the place in life where you ended up being. Yes, and of course continuing to heal all the while. Um, yes, part two. the right? giving is healing. So there's that. And um, then I had a kind of break from all this in my life because I went through a divorce and I had to get a real job that, with a real salary. So that it's bringing us down to this grounded level is a great time for us to take a little break and come right back and pick up the process that happens next after coming down from the heights into the ground. After the plane <laughs> lands. Right. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome back, <laughs> Pamela Hale Tracta now, and we're talking about the weaving together of a number of different threads of life, and right now we're on the healing journey. Yes, yes, so um, 
fast forward to after I took off 10 years, really, to do professional fundraising, which did bring me to a grounded place and taught me that I could walk in the world, um, the, the quote, normal world. <laughs> Money will, Money will do that. Money will do that. And that was had a lot of benefits for me in addition to um, being able to live. Um, it made me realize that I could walk into worlds, that I could steep myself in the juicy, creative um, wellspring and still function in the world and become a translator or a teacher who would teach others maybe how to take that creative impulse, that eros, if you will, and apply it in their lives. So, so now at this point, you're on your own, right? And you're raising children? I, I was on my own for four years. Yes. And then as a fundraiser, serendipity once again introduced me to my current husband because my fundraising, I was working for Stanford University, and my fundraising territory included Arizona. And so I came <laughs> here to recruit volunteers. And my old friend from college, John Tracta, whom I hadn't seen for 23 years, walked into the training, and I was instantly a goner. Old friend from college. Old friend from college. Wow. Again, a weaving. Oh, now we go back into the past yes. and weave another thread into the present. And so within a year, I was quitting my dream job. Which was which? Was, was the fundraising okay. for Stanford. And marrying my volunteer and dragging my two children kicking and screaming from Southern California over to Tucson, Arizona. And what age were the kids at that point? The older one was mercifully in college, so okay. that in a way was easier for her, although this is never easy for any age. The younger one, God bless her, I think she's forgiven me. She was entering senior year in high school <laughs> yes. when I did this. Um, and so she had a choice, but she came with us and graduated from Amphi in Tucson. She might look back on this as a sacred wound. She might. <laughs> Hopefully. I hope the sacred part is uh -huh. there is operational. Uh -huh. But at any rate, so I, um, I continued fundraising here to kind of get my feet in this community. And then various things um, made it evident that I was being tapped on the shoulder. And a big whisper in my ear was, this is all fine and well, but this is not your life work. So I knew that I had to return to personal development, and I could see that organizational development was very related to personal development. Many of the dynamics were exactly the same. <laughs> and so I began to, um, a real struggle for, I'd say, about seven years that felt kind of like the seven-year curse where I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know how to do this translation. It's like this juicy, wonderful experience was lost in translation to me. And I was writing and um, doing a lot of research on my father, so that was the search for Hale that kind of wove into this. And at the end of that period, this is at the end of the 90s, I 
um, began those flying lessons I was talking about. And that made all my old fears that were unresolved <coughs> and self-doubts come out from under the ground like a bunch of little ground squirrels. <laughs> Good image. <laughs> and um, so I began to write about this, and this became my book, Flying Lessons, How to Be the Pilot of Your Own Life, with, where I took lessons from flying and applied them to life. But along the way, I had discovered aerial photography. And at the times that my husband had the controls and I was at the window, I was taking pictures out the window, which is what I do now. Mm -hmm. And 50 of those aerial photos um, are in my book. And that became, um, that became evidence for me that what I was up to, up there for, was to expand the medicine of beauty for me. That, um, that I had been kind of told by spirit. I had had a really powerful experience um, with uh, a practitioner of holotropic breathing one time at a workshop about the purpose of life. And what came forth in my inner ear was, your mission is to create beauty. And I came out of that going, that's not what I wanted. My mission is to be a creating beauty. I get pedicures. What are you talking about? <laughs> you know, I was at first taking it very literally and physically, and I've come to see that that is exactly the case. Because by creating beauty, I outfit myself, not just on the exterior, but in the interior landscape you refer to. I am uh, bringing beauty into that interior landscape that would become part of my healing journey. You know, this is alchemy as it's mm. operating in the service of creativity mm. or creativity in the service of alchemy mm. in that you've got a combination of talents and circumstances and experiences and experiments and, you know, that divine confusion which we need sometimes to break things up mm -hmm. just to prove that mm -hmm. we don't know, that there's yes. something larger. And if we tune in enough like you did, especially from the standpoint of perspective, you get a whole bunch of different messages that gradually began to make sense and led you even to the excitement of today. Yes, that's true. So I think the next big step there was that in the late 90s, my husband and I rented a beach house on the west coast of Baja, and we were there, and um, the beach was just covered with all these beautiful colored stones and had wonderful streaks in the sand, and I went down on the beach, and when I looked at these, all of a sudden I began to see these forms and figures emerging from the stones and the landscape, and I went running up and got my camera, photographed compulsively for four days, went home, had all the film developed because it was film then, and laid them out on my dining room table. And two weeks later, I went in for a routine mammogram and I got the dreaded call. And I went in mm. and the surgeon pointed out, your family history is your mother and grandmother both died of this. 
This looks like an aggressive tumor. I think you've got a big decision to make. I think you've got to decide between a single and bilateral mastectomy. And I would recommend that you really consider the bilateral. Now this was in the late 90s. This was considered very radical then. People weren't doing preventative That's right. mastectomies then. So um, I went home and did what any good woman would do when she's upset. I cleaned house. Yes. And so I'm cleaning up all the pictures off the dining room table and I pick one of them up and I see what looks like a guardian angel. And I think, oh honey, I need you. And I put her by my bed so that that Monday when I went in for the lumpectomy that they tried, she would bring in spiritual healing and guidance and comfort. And I felt that. Um, spirit guide that was by your side. Yes, it was a spirit guide yes. of sorts. Yes. Uh -huh. And so this was my first shamanic experience, even though I didn't call it that. Those were what I call my sand spirits that became my sand spirits insight cards. And those spirit guides were kind of the first ones from nature that appeared. Now um, I see them also from the sky when I'm looking down at the earth or even when I'm looking into the center of a flower. Or Can you talk a little bit more about those cards? How you develop them and what, uh, what content is in them and how are they being used? And no. at the end, of course, we'll talk about your book and your website and where everything is uh, sure. available. But we'd, we would love to hear more about those sure. cards. And I can make a testimonial about those cards because I had the good fortune to have a card in front of me at a workshop that you, Pamela, were doing. And I had my own personal spirit guide and she was so true and mm. her form in the sand and her head and her cloak spoke so dearly to me so clearly to me that it has stayed with me mm. ever since and I have oh, told you that yes thank you for that yes. thank you for that <laughs> yes she was a very deep uh -huh. spirit so I guess to answer your question, Bibi, I thought of these sand spirits as, well, these are like my invisible friends that I had as a lonely child. And when I speak, I often ask how many people had invisible friends, and a lot of them imaginary friends. A lot of people don't know what I'm talking about, but there are certain ones who are nodding yes. like this because <laughs> they know that they had um, imaginary friends. And these are like imaginary friends. So I developed a way of dialoguing with them. So I might dialogue with the one that looks like a guardian angel and say to her, so who are you? Tell me about you. And then I just kind of listen and see what comes up for me. And it might not come for some people in words. It might come in a feeling or emotion or a memory, information comes in a lot of different ways, or a bodily feeling. And you asked us in the workshop to have that dialogue with that particular spirit. Mm -hmm. And mine was so ancient, and the bottom line is that it was so 
reassuring mm. that what she had to say or how she how I felt her was such reassurance for the most ancient and deep mm. parts of myself that I wasn't even fully aware of. She crystallized yeah, it. And, and I think that that's the energy that they all carry. Mm -hmm. That um, You know, when I've worked with people a couple of times, an image will scare somebody. And of course, what's probably really scaring her is just her own, the fact she's using her imagination. Oh my gosh, <laughs> that's too scary. <laughs> Uh, or looking inside, that's scary, because she might see the wound or the mm -hmm. fears or whatever. But, um, but I feel confident in reassuring people, if you stick with this dialogue, you're going to see how reassuring and positive the messages are. And how many cards are there, actually? So there are 36. So I, I relied on the sand spirits to tell me how to create them. So when I ask them, what do I do with you? They say, publish us. I say, well, how do I do that? And they say, well, start out by just taking us down to the local printer. And I say, well, so I have 60 of you. And they say, no, there will be 36. And I go, oh, really? But I wanted 60. And they say, there will be 36. OK. And in the Jewish religion, high is 18. It's, it's a form of life. Double high is 36. Oh, So talk about ancient connections. Interesting. So there you so go. I didn't know that, See, but, I, uh, but I trust that, that that wisdom comes from somewhere that is um, deeply rooted like that. The words that you um, use to describe your life and the creativity process are so powerful. Um, when you use words like search and um, uh, locate and find and and being open, you do not stand in the way of the voices and the thoughts that come to you. You are as though you've opened up your raincoat and say, I am right here. <laughs> I am listening. I am um, accepting. And that mm. is so fascinating and fat and fabulous mm. that you're doing that. Trust. Trust. Exactly. Trust. That was another one that was so huge. huge. Well, it's not always like that, baby. <laughs> I have my moments of you know, doubt and cynicism and heartbreak and disappointment, just like everybody. And um, recently, just to bring this up to date, maybe, um, recently in this last year, I've had some real health challenges and they've been scary. And I liken them to going down the rabbit hole, which is probably going to be the title of the book that I'm working on right now. So when something shocking happens to us, like I fell on my driveway and went flat on my face and broke my nose and got a concussion and I was alone and I've had double vision. This is probably a consequence of that. And so this, this um, really takes you down the rabbit hole of, all right, am I totally losing it now? Is, am I supposed to quit my work? you know, spirit, what do you want of me? You know, all of those kinds of feelings. Um, and so when that happens, um, it's hard to know which end is up and what is real and what is illusion. And so down the rabbit hole became my metaphor for Alice going down into Wonderland and sometimes our world looks like Wonderland. And um, sure enough, 
when she comes to her senses and screams finally at all the figures, you're nothing but a pack of cards. She awakens and she's sitting on the bank with her sister and realizing that the whole thing was a dream. So that's the level I've been working on now. How do we stay engaged with a world that is often crazy, yeah. our individual ones and the collective one for sure, and um, stay engaged and yet not attached? How do we live on more than one level at a time, or if you will, reconcile two views, that hence my the double, double vision, vision. <laughs> two views that our poor little mind can barely put together and reconcile. I think the curiosity part, when you ask how, it opens up to receive something in response to how, which is far more fruitful than asking, is this or that, or uh -huh. yes or no, or even what. Uh-huh. You know, so yeah. it's your native curiosity that allows mm. you to ask the question so that you can receive. Yeah. And that's such a beautiful yeah. way that you live. Yeah, I've done my share of complaining too, but <laughs> yes, I do ask that, thank you. So maybe, you know, what you said makes me think maybe that's what allowed the universe to respond in this beautiful way lately with my newest venture, my newest, iteration of my photographic life. So the way this came about is that I started getting bored with the photographs I was taking. Uh, in that, okay, the views are still beautiful, but I know how to take these beautiful pictures from the air. I already know how to do that. So it's kind of like I got bored with landscapes for the same reason. So this is another perfect time to take a quick little break because then we can see how the big stop sign of life, whether it's stopping through a diagnosis, a diagnosis or it's stopping through a divorce or whatever it is that stops us. In this case, you're, you're really saying something all of us can relate to, which is something has kind of run out of energy or we've run out of energy. Then what? Mm -hmm. We'll be right back. So we're back with Pamela Hale at this wonderful crossroads of being a feeling bored, like, okay, I used the energy up for that creative venture. I wonder what's next. What happened, Pamela? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I have visions. You know, I think we all do. We just... Um, we probably don't trust them enough because people who have visions are suspect in our culture. But often, especially if you really concentrate on that twilight time when you're waking up in the morning and you're kind of asleep and kind of in dream time and kind of awake, that's where you might have a lucid dream or a vision that really might be important. 
So in my vision, my first vision of this kind, I saw one of my enlargements of my, um, an, an aerial shot that was an abstract, and I started hearing tones coming out of it. Okay, now I'm musical not tones. crazy. Musical tones. Mm. Vibrations. Like um, my friend Trish Devney, who's a sound healer, like her crystal bowl tones, right? Those yes. beautiful tones. Yes. And then I started seeing strips of other photos that were placed on the photo in collage form, representing those notes. And I sprung out of bed and started making drawings of this. And this led to my starting collage, starting to cut up strips of, of other photos and superimpose them on the existing photos. And that led to messes. And that led to me deciding that my guest room and office, which had really old, horrible carpeting that needed replacing, that I thought, I bet there's a cement floor underneath that. And I pulled the carpet up, and sure enough, there was. So I just pulled all that up and had somebody paint that concrete, yes. and I ch changed my guest room into an art studio. Fantastic. <laughs> so That's energizing in its, in its own right. I started these collages, and that was exciting. And then I started painting on the collages, and it got sort of multimedia, and it started evolving. And then I thought about, all oh, this is fun because I get my hands on it. But the other thing I would see when we would go flying is I kept looking down at the earth and seeing these patterns that I kept saying to myself, that would make a great fabric. I can just mm. see that on a textile. And I've always loved textiles. And I've always, maybe as a former weaver, <laughs> said to myself, well, maybe in my next life I'll be a textile artist. And then I'm thinking all of a sudden, why my next life? <laughs> I want to be able to put these images on photos. So then it's a longer story, but I was inspired by an art exhibit I saw where the curator had put his photos on big panels of chiffon. And I loved the exhibit for itself. And I said, I'm going to do that. So I started looking at how to do that. And I, I'm Googling for companies, and I'm evidently not Googling the right thing until the right time. So another point, I guess, is that the universe has its own timing, and we can't push these things. It works through us, but you kept putting yourself yourself in environments that would stimulate something, maybe not exactly directly, but indirectly, creating that chaos that's so necessary for the process to Yes, blossom. even though it's uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> as, it, so, as we're going through it. Yes, it's as we're going through Absolutely. it, it's uncomfortable. Confusing. And, and we, we feel like we're doing something wrong, that we need to resolve this. That's and, right. Um, so last summer, my husband and I went on this trip to Alaska, uh, to British Columbia. And on our way back, I stopped and visited a friend of mine who on Whidbey Island. And at that time, I was kind of tired. I was thinking, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done this trip. I really wish I were just going home. But I get to her house, and because she's a quilting artist, <laughs> I tell her about my hunger to put photos on fabric. 
And she says, oh, I know where we have to go this afternoon. So she takes me to a friend of hers who's a fabric designer. And by now, I have found a company online and done a couple of experimental photos on fabric that didn't quite turn out the way I envisioned them. So I, I asked this woman about this company, and she says, oh, you've absolutely got the right company. Just keep at it. You've got to learn how to size the photos and how to really be in charge of how they're going to look. So with that encouragement and with my friend, quilting artist, who said, now let's go home and I'll tell you all the equipment you need in order to make these scarves that you want to make. Something so, we love, wrapped in beauty. She told me what sewing machine to buy and what this and that. So to make a long story short, I now have a new line of fabrics called Earth Skin Designs. Mm. Mm. And I'm working on the trademark. I've got an application in for the trademark. And they're Earth Skin Designs because when I look down from above, I see that they're the Earth's skin. <coughs> and so most of them are aerial photos taken from very far away. But then I really realized that there are also many close-ups I have of the Earth's skin taken by me just standing over, let's say, a barrel cactus in bloom or a prickly pear in bloom. And so some of them are close-ups and some of them are far away. And I am now going to be offering the fabrics for sale and also starting a line of scarves to begin with, with many other plans in the background. Bags, kimonos, kimonos leggings my granddaughter yes. wants. Yes. Um, who knows? What is I've had two men ask, just tell me they want shirts. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Those shirts for men would be fan just f fantastic. It's sort of like being in the islands or being in the <laughs> desert. You take a part of the place with you right. as you travel. Right. How phenomenal. And do you have one of those pieces on your neck? Now? I do. Oh I do. I love the and feel and look of it. It's beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful blues and it, some orange um, and cream colors. And they greens. all flow yeah. together in yeah. a sort of a mesmerizing uh, expression of what you've captured, of the art that you've captured. Well, thank you. And so now at 74, I'm starting a whole new thing here. And look at her, look at her twinkling eyes. Right. The broadness and of this smile. I mean, this is energy in, in vision. Oh, well, it I just mean. makes my heart sing. And I don't really know all the reasons, to tell you the truth. I, you know, I don't know all the reasons because it's not that I love thinking about all the business details ahead. If I start thinking too much about that, I get totally freaked out and overwhelmed. So, but Spirit is telling me just do one thing at a time. And it will be taken one care of. One thing at a time. And so I'm starting with the scarves. I've, <clears throat> another blessing is that I have worked uh, for years, some collaborating with my older daughter, giving women's retreats. <coughs> Excuse me. Now my younger daughter is attracted to this Earthskins project, and so she's going to help me with that. So the cosmic 
the cosmic balance, even as a mother, right? Because we don't want to leave out the fact that when something is right, it's right in so many parts of your life and for your younger daughter now to be mm -hmm. included and to include herself mm -hmm. in her mother's art and evolving creativity is such a, another way of giving back to the part of you that's mother. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's true. And I, it, you know, at this age, you think of legacy, and I just think, well, the wonderful thing is wherever this goes, if I get too old and tired or whatever happens that I don't want to do it anymore, I can just hand it to Erin, and she can do whatever she wants with it. And then the rest of us will be wearing these beautiful <laughs> earth skins, and we will be accumulating uh, accolades and applause for the beauty that Aww. you created. So thank you so much. And we need to tell our listeners where they can find more information about Pamela Hale Tracta, as well as um, on her website and in our show notes. Yes, and we'll do that. So where is the best place to find your um, beautiful work, but also the information about your book and your current pursuits? What's the best way the for the parts. listeners to, to <laughs> yes. connect with you? Um, so my website is Through a Different Lens, all spelled out. So it's T-H-R-O-U-G-H-A, different lens, L-E-N-S, dot com. And then there's a new website that's about to be birthed that is just PamelaHale.net. And maybe that's an easier one to remember. So both of them will go to the same place. And, and we'll have references in our show notes, links that can take our listeners right directly Good. to those, including the spirit cards. Good. And I, I just encourage people, if they want to explore their own creativity, to just um, to sign up for my newsletter because I write a lot of blogs and write a monthly newsletter. And I have um, some events, um, sometimes online and certainly locally here in Tucson. So I'd love to have you join my little community. You bet. So much mm -hmm. inspiration in one place. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for being here with us. It is such a such a pleasure and an inspiration. It feels like the rain has stopped. Now, whether it has or not, we don't know. But certainly through the expression and the, the history that Pam has shared with us, it sure feels like it's very sunny outside. And also <laughs> very fertile and... And not so crusty and sandy, oh. but there's a wonderful, uh, a wonderful aliveness out there. So oh, thank you nice. for thank you for that. having me. It's been just a pleasure to talk with both of you. Full pleasure. Thank you so much, Pamela. For more information, visit our website, BoomGoddessRadio.com, and follow us on Facebook, Boom Goddess. We'd love to hear from you. Your interest powers our programs.